You know, normally when you think of fall, you think it's a lot cooler out. But like the last three days here, it's been like 80 degrees and miserable because I guess summer just doesn't want to let go. But here on the seasonal anime checkup, your favorite quarterly podcast, summer's going to have to let go because we're going to talk about the summer season that is now over. And we're going to preview fall later on in the episode. I'm your host, as always, Jared. And we're going to do exactly as I just said. I did all this, I did this introduction out of order. It's real weird. Uh, thanks to everyone who listened to the last episode, episode number 10. I think that's right. That covered spring and summer, which uh, if you haven't listened or you don't know where to go to listen to the podcast, you can go listen to it on soundcloud.com slash markoutdarkout, YouTube. I don't think I still have a URL for that, but just search Seasonal Anime Checkup on YouTube and you'll eventually find it. Uh, you can find it on iTunes if you search Mark Out Dark Out. And go to the website, SeasonalAnimeCheckup.com or the new short form URL, SAC.cool. It's, it's real short and it's a real dumb URL, so of course I had to go get it. <laughs> so yeah, thanks to everyone who listened to that and that's uh, that's where you can go listen to the podcast. There's a there's a link on the website itself. I think it's just called podcast and it'll get you pretty much all three of those options, uh, SoundCloud, YouTube, and iTunes if you want to go figure out which one of those you want to go find and use. And then of course, since we will be talking about shows that happen in summer, we will probably dive into some spoilers. So if we do talk about a show that you want to watch or you're currently watching, you should probably skip ahead just in case there are spoilers in that review so you don't get ruined on the show that you're watching because that would be real mean and I would hate to ha- have that happen. So let's just uh, let's dive in. We'll talk about, like I said earlier, we're going to talk about summer first. We will preview fall. Uh, also, before we preview fall, we'll talk about uh, backlog stuff and movies. And then, yeah, that'll be pretty much it. That'll be a podcast. That's how these things go. So let's dive immediately in to what happened in summer 2016 early shows that I watched because I watched a lot of shows and then I had to write reviews for all of them and I was like oh man I I messed up I watched too many shows let's start off with uh let's start off with Ace Attorney perhaps I thought the show would improve as time went by perhaps I'm just a masochist who likes to torture myself by watching bad shows Ace Attorney did not improve in tackling the second game in the series in fact it got worse it does not help that Justice for All is my least favorite Ace Attorney game, but the ways the anime revolves, or excuse me, removes parts that are instrumental not only to the game, but to the series in the Magatama is appalling. Even when they randomly just include Cyclops near the end of the season for no reason, and it makes zero sense given that the Magatama is never, was never introduced. The animation continues to be hot garbage, but perhaps slightly better than the adaptation of the first game. It is safe to say that I believe that Ace Attorney might be one of the worst adaptations I have ever seen. I hope that this was it, and that they do not continue to try and ruin the next and best game in the series, which is Trials and Tribulations. But I mean, this show's getting a dub, which that's going to be even even bigger can of worms because like, are they going to retain the the game cast that they've used for Dual Destinies and uh, the latest game Spirits of Justice, or are they going to like recast everyone, which? Man, bury Ace Attorney in the ground, at least the anime adaptation, and just leave it. Never come back. Up next, we're going to talk about Brotherhood Final Fantasy XV, the last three episodes of that mini-series, I guess. And uh, friend of the site, Anladium, has some words, strong, poignant words, let's say, about that show. 
As of my last review of Final Fantasy XV Brotherhood, the first two episodes had been released, and I did not have a positive initial reaction to the series. For the most part, it was confusing as a marketing piece, and it did not present a positive portrayal of the four main protagonists we were supposed to like for the game itself. Now that the entire series, minus the bonus Luna Freya episode including the special edition of the game, aired, my reaction to the series is actually more negative than it was in the last review. I still feel that the series ultimately fails as a marketing tool since the goal was to demonstrate the friendship between these four characters and make viewers anticipate the game. In one episode, oh god, Gladiolus, let's go with that, dislikes Noctis until the prince takes the fall for Gladio's sister. While the episode itself is not as horrible, it has strange pacing and shows an age gap between these two guys that doesn't seem to translate into the game itself, nor their official ages. The next episode features Ignis and his quest to both nanny the prince and to recreate Noctis' favorite dish from a foreign area. Noctis is actually quite bratty and unappreciative of the work that Ignis does, although they play it off as his way of coping with potential war and the possibility of his father's passing. While I'm not sure these short episodes are meant to humanize Noctis and show why these guys are so loyal to him, it backfires and instead makes him more unlikable. Lastly, the wrap-up episode was bizarre. It's a throwback to episode 1's battle with robots and a Lamia-type enemy who attacked Noctis as a child, which I think they kind of go into in the second demo they put out for FF15, the Platinum demo, I think that's what it was called. The battle has Noctis overcoming his fears and defeating the enemy, or maybe that was in King's Blade, never mind. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Which they demonstrate could not even be beaten by his father with his magical abilities. It is also unclear if this fight will somehow appear in the game since it seems to be the one that activates abilities Noctis previously did not have. With some weirdly paced fighting and an incomplete explanation as to what happened, this episode is an unsatisfying wrap-up of an already disappointing series. As a whole, I still believe this anime is only for people who are already entirely sold on the game. It didn't make me want Final Fantasy XV at all, and it's still a bizarre marketing technique to offer a slice of these characters' life with no background information on what is going on in the grand scheme of things. It should not be the job of the consumer to find all these tiny bits of the story in order to create a complete picture of Final Fantasy XV, especially considering the game itself has yet to be released, which I ended up watching Kingsglaive because she watched that, in order to review it for here, and I was like, I'll watch King's Glaive so you don't have to suffer through that. And It basically has the same problem that Brotherhood seems to have, where it's like, you have to fill in the blanks of what exactly is happening, because they basically don't tell you really much of anything that's happening. It's like, uh, bad stuff happened in the very beginning, Noctis got kidnapped, or the his lady betrothed got kidnapped, and then stuff happened, here's Aaron Paul's character who's somehow a big deal, the king dies, and that's pretty much it. There's a ring that gives you powers. That's pretty much it. It's a gorgeous-looking movie. I will give it that, but, like, if you go into that knowing nothing, you will leave that still knowing nothing and basically be like, what did I just watch? Nothing of that makes sense. So, like, the weirdness of marketing that Square Enix has used for Final Fantasy XV, especially with Brotherhood and Kingslave, has just been so strange because... It's like Anne Ladium said, like, if you already know you're going to be on board fully with this with this game, like, you're probably going to eat all this stuff up. But if, like, you're going into this with no knowledge, you basically have to, like, research afterwards, after you watch either of these, just to figure out what exactly happened. And you really should never have to do that with, like, any sort of media, regardless of it's, if it's a tie into a game or not. Speaking of game adaptations, let's we're going to talk about Danganronpa 3 on another podcast, which you can go find on SeasonalAnimeCheckup.com or SAC.cool, is the Seasonal Anime Checkup OVA, which is a supplemental podcast to this very podcast, 
It's a, I had a two hour conversation with Anne Ladium and we broke down Danganronpa three, both sides. And then the finale and talked about some other stuff as well. You should go listen to it. It's a really good episode and there's a lot of good discussion point, points in it. So if you want to listen to that, go over to seasonalanimecheckup.com or sac.cool. There is a button called Seasonal Anime Checkup OVA, and you will be able to find that. It is also on iTunes and Google Play if you search Seasonal Anime Checkup OVA. So yeah, and also we're going to be doing a second episode here probably next week, depending on when you listen to this. It might already be out, and it's something I don't think anyone's really going to guess that we would do. So I'm real excited to talk about that show. But moving back into summer shows that we can talk about on this show, let's talk about Days. It would not be an anime season without some form of sports anime, so this time around, we have soccer, or football, depending where you live, anime. As far as sports anime goes, it still is early to completely say, but it does not necessarily seem to be up there with shows like Haikyuu and Baby Steps. Days does fall into some super typical tropes, such as a genius who is really good at said sport, but is an incoming first year in protagon- and the protagonist who has never played the sport, but is super determined. The show does weirdly use CGI for some of the super wide shots when matches are being played, but that is probably the best option given that it would look real wonky with hand-drawn animation, especially with how some shows have gone this season. Days also is able to hit you with some emotional beats, especially in the last couple of episodes where the show just destroys Tsukamoto when I actually thought he would catch a break. So far, the show is fine, perhaps, leaning more towards average, but hopefully it'll get better as the latter half of the season rolls into fall. Time to talk about a show that's a sequel quote-unquote. Love Live Sunshine, going from a series in the original Love Live to utilizing an entirely new cast, has to be a daunting task. Especially when you do not rest on your laurels and try to shoehorn the original cast into the new series. The only time that you know that Sunshine is some form of direct sequel is that there is a Muse poster in Chica's room, and they constantly talk about them in a tone that suggests that the original cast are superstars. There really is not a good grasp of the amount of time that has passed from Love Live and the movie to Sunshine, So much that I originally thought the premise was going to be that school idols had gone away completely, but it ended up being the opposite, where after Muse and Rise, they have ballooned. At first, you begin to think that Sunshine is just retreading the same concepts that the original series portrayed, even down to the character archetypes, but as the series progresses, you begin to see the different path the show goes. Unlike Love Live, where Muse just rose to the top without really any hiccups, Sunshine really showcases how much this subset of society has changed with Aquas really having to struggle to succeed. Each episode as well had some form of an emotional punch that would hit you, and while the first few episodes of these might have just been there to, you know, just be like, oh, here's some emotion for you, by the end of the season, and with how much you have seen all the characters go through, a lot of the emotions of the the show gets out of the viewer is very much earned. Sunshine really does a good job of making you root for Aquars more so than Muse because of the amount of competition that has sprung up, including the new rival group, Saint Snow, which basically seems like Baby Metal if it were a duo. With one of the members of Baby Metal, Moa, being a Love Life fan, I wonder if that was actually intentional. The show seems to end in a way that suggests a second season, and I would be all for that, especially considering I was sort of apprehensive in the beginning, but was certainly won over by the time the season ended. In fact, surprisingly, Sunshine was certainly one of the best shows of the season. Which we have like, what, let's see. We have like three or four good, 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 good shows this season. At least the stuff that I watched. And then there's like other stuff that's like, it's average or, uh, yeah. Anyways, let's talk about good shows still. Let's talk about Mob Psycho 100. When you hear that this show is from the creative minds behind One Punch Man... It would be a reason to think that this show is going to be good. 
Mob Psycho 100 might be less super ridiculous than One Punch Man, but that does not take away from the fact that it is just as good. Though as I say that, the premise does feature a young kid, Mob, with psychic powers that get uncapped whenever one of his emotions overflows, so maybe it still is just as ridiculous. Sibling rivalry, cross-school position of power rivalry, evil dudes that get reduced into tiny spirits, and character development out of the butt to find this show in a nutshell. It certainly retains the same amount of fun that One Punch Man had, and iterates on that in many different ways by making you care more about the characters here. I would be remiss to not mention Reagan, who might go through the best character development as he starts off as a super con man who Mob works for, and by the end you're still kind of like, okay, you're a con man, but dude, you're totally going to lie and BS your way out of a super terrible situation and save the day. If we somehow get alternating years of One Punch Man and Mob Psycho 100 with the second season of One Punch Man being recently announced, anime will be much, much better. Here's another uh, spring season holdover. Mobile Suit Gundam Unicorn Re-00-96. I was real critical of Unicorn last episode because it seemed to tread far too much in being generic. Somewhere in the midst of the second half, something clicked with either me or the show, and I got really invested in what was happening. The last few episodes especially were actually genuinely emotional, so maybe they saved all of the good stuff for the end, even though that is a risky strategy. The show still held up as being an action film, quote-unquote, style of Gundam, with the battles being flashy and full of explosions, to catch your eye and also look good. The final reveal of what is inside Laplace's box is fine, and for the universe, it's a big deal, but maybe not so much for the viewer. Perhaps though, one of the strangest parts of the show is when they introduced Bright Noah, famous from the first series, as a character in Unicorn, and he would try and figure out strategies or solutions to problems while talking to a picture of Amuro Ray. Unicorn probably won't go down as my favorite Gundam series, but if you stick out the first half, you certainly will be rewarded. Continuing on, let's talk about 91 Days. As noted in previous episodes, I am a sucker for period pieces. With 91 Days taking place in Prohibition America, it certainly brought up questions of how a Japanese production would view that point in time. The answer is decent, but it still had its problems. One of the problems that can come with telling a story in a period of time such as Prohibition is that the gangsters were absolutely terrible people, which 91 Days does portray very well, even with some of the characters you get to know. At its heart, the show is a story about revenge, which the first episode does a great job of showing why that's the case. Of course, that gets muddied the further the show goes along, as while most of the revenge happens, Nero, one of the main characters on Angelo, or Angelo has his sights on, lives. Angelo does not kill him, and we see multiple times in the final episode where Nero has the same opportunity, and doesn't. Though the ending never shows what happens to Angelo after Nero fires a gun at him while he's walking away. Perhaps he did kill him, or shot at him and left. It's ambiguous enough to allow for di some different interpretations. The show did have some production issues in a variety of episodes, and even going so far to have a recap episode midway through a 12-episode season, which is never a good sign. These production issues and trying to make gangsters into sympathetic figures for drama's sake really hold 91 Days back from being something really good. I think this next show was probably one of my most anticipated shows of this season, oddly enough. Orange. As someone who read the manga previously, I was real excited to get sad by the anime adaptation of Orange. Which that still totally happens, as the show is a faithful adaptation story-wise, and makes you very sad at times. Elsewhere, the show is rife with weird and wonky animation. It's sad that it hinders the show in such a way where you're watching, oh man, this is real sad, but oof, those characters look real bad. It really is a bummer that the animation issues drag down the story because it is some good shoujo, 
if that is the sort of thing you were looking for. I don't know if the issue stemmed from time or just the way certain shots lined up and didn't help the animators, but it was constant throughout the entire season. There were a few episodes midway through that were especially rough to where I thought they had gotten the Ace Attorney budget. There is a spin-off manga and movie coming out in the future, but I sure hope they take their time with the movie so it doesn't end up looking exactly like the show. Orange deserved better than to have to deal with one of the most constant problems in 2016 anime and maybe of the past couple years in animation problems. Final Fantasy XV wasn't the only anime that had a marketing... or wasn't the only game that had a marketing anime. That's words. Let's talk about Persona 5 the animation The Daybreakers OVA. Surprisingly, not a prequel, as the game does a good enough job to where it would have been strange if this was a prequel. Daybreakers essentially is a side quest that would have taken place in the game, although more fleshed out than what some of the side quests in Persona 5 seem to be. The good thing is it gives you a look at how the Phantom Thieves operate about a third of the way through the game, as the team only consists of the main character, Ryuji, Anne, Morgana, and Yusuke in the OVA. It is a good episode on its own, and the fight scene in particular is well done, but it'll be something people probably appreciate more when they play the game, which as of now I have done, and other ridiculous people who imported, but most English speakers will still have to wait until Valentine's Day of next year to really understand. Like, this OVA does a better job of marketing, like, how these characters interact, like, what they do in the game, than what Final Fantasy XV did across five episodes, which is kind of bad. Like, Square Enix, you need to get your marketing together. <laughs> Let's talk about Relife. Beginning with a simple premise, Relife asks the question, what would happen if you take a young adult in their 20s who is down on their luck and give them a second chance at being a high school student again? Would they take the opportunity and change how they approach life, or would they fold and let the opportunity pass them? Arta Kaizuki is given the chance after quitting a major job just after three months and, fail and falling down on his luck. The show follows his reassimilation into high school as a 27-year-old while looking like he's 17. You would think that all the high school characters Arata meets would end up being various tropes, like the shy person, the stubborn one, the aloof, dense one, which is true to an extent, but each of these characters also have layers upon layers added to them that they seem far more human than I would have anticipated. Even Arata isn't as simple to nail down as when the truth about why he quit his job is revealed midway through the season. It becomes clear that he had hidden trauma deep down from what transpired at that job. There are multiple character redemption arcs throughout, the, throughout and it is truly a fun ride across all 13 episodes. The twist in the finale when they finally reveal who the first test subject Ryo had taken on since Arata's number two was a genuine holy sh** moment for me as I never saw it coming. I'd been meaning to read the webcomic manga for a while, so watching the show will finally give that kick I needed to go and do that, but the show is highly recommended. So I wrote this review way earlier than the other ones, and I actually have read through all of like the webcomic slash manga of it, and they actually kind of change the reveal part. It's a little bit different. Like I think both ways work in their respective mediums. And the the manga itself like has gone on further past that obviously, but it's a real good story and like I would, I'd recommend like watching the show first so that you can go back and read through all the like if you have Crunchyroll like that's on their manga app so you can at least get the first four four or five volumes of it now. But there's like other stuff afterwards you might have to go find on sketchy websites, let's just say. <laughs> And finally, 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 yes, that's true. Let's talk about Sweetness and Lightning. Another manga I had read previously, Sweetness and Lightning certainly lives up to its name as being too sweet. Cooking shows in the past year or two seem, have seemed strange. It's either cooking plus fan service or cooking and being kind of creepy. 
Sweetness and Lightning tries to remedy that by being about a father who recently lost his wife, trying to learn how to cook for his daughter. The kicker is that he's being taught by a student of his. Which that can lead to some weird and gross analogies that other shows would totally run with. The manga actually kind of does hint at that very slightly, as Kotori admits to at first having some sort of feelings like that, but then eventually decides against them. The anime slightly changes this by having her be like, oh, there is affection, but it's not in that sort of way. It's more in the way of a family. Perhaps the only one problem with the show is that it just ends, and kind of abruptly, but with an episode that could certainly work as a finale. The manga is still currently ongoing, so you don't want to get ahead of that, and there really is not a good stopping point for the anime to use, so that was the next best option. Sweetness and Lightning is fun, it's heartwarming, it'll make you misty-eyed, and quite frankly, it's sweet. Gotta get those puns in there. That's all for summer season 2016, let's head over to movies where we have one movie to talk about. It's Persona 3, the movie number 4, Winter of Rebirth. I have covered, I think, every Persona 3 movie on this podcast, and I've certainly enjoyed each one, despite the fact that it is a hard making a game of that length into four movies. I was certainly excited to see how the finale would come about, and boy was I disappointed. This is easily the worst of the Persona 3 movies, and it is a shame the liberties A1 took with it. Changing aspects of the ending to make it more dramatic when that final battle with Nyx is already pretty much dramatic as is. They also swapped the music that plays in the Nyx avatar and Nyx battles, which seems like a strange thing to do. The way they split up the characters for the final battle is dumb, and they kill off Jin and Takaya in bad ways. Having Makado go one-on-one against Nyx avatar was just stupid. Like, how hard is it to stick how, to how the game does it when the game already does it so well? I guess I shouldn't be surprised A1 would screw up a video game adaptation, as that's pretty much all they do. One of the few good things is it shows how Strega is able to build up its cult, and make it like a religion, but then you also get things like Yukari trying to kill herself because they held off on her dad's reveal until much later than the game does. Persona 3 the movie number 4 is a show, and it makes me think I just wasted my time investing, investing all that time into watching all four of those movies. It is just embarrassing to do so well for three movies and then just screw it up at the very end. I hope that they do not try and adapt the answer or something to do with FMC, because they would just mess it up like this and leave a bad taste in people's mouth. Just go play the game. You're much better off doing that than watching this garbage. And it would be a lot cheaper too, because the game is real cheap pretty much every couple weeks. But we also have one more show in the backlog, which is actually a real old show. Mobile Suit Gundam 0080 War in the Pocket. I like when Gundam decides to go in a different direction than the way most of the mainline series tends to go. Series like the 08th MS Team is my bread and butter, and 0080 seems to fall in line with being a Gundam series that can surprise you. A lot of Gundam can almost be described as pro-war, with how often each series will just break down into battles and some form of war that is used for drama. 0080 is basically the outlier by essentially being an anti-war stance that seems so foreign to the franchise as a whole. Given that 0080 is an OVA in only 6 episodes, there is not really any time to have any huge battles that span across episodes. Instead, that goes to developing human relationships between the characters. As this is said in the fall of the One Year War, there are still tensions between the Earth Federation and Xeon, with the majority of the show being told from a Xeon point of view, but through the eyes of a child. There's a hint in the forbidden relationship between the warring factions that was like OATHMS team, but neither character reveals their affection until the final episode when they are placed against each other in one of the few battles of the show. 
By the end, the characters you follow are just traumatized by what has occurred in this colony, when usually the ending of a Gundam series is, oh, well, the protagonist has succeeded and peace will come, but that really doesn't happen here. The way this ends, it seems like it was ripped out of Gothic literature or a Coleridge poem, where the ending is not optimistic in the slightest and does not make you happy. I would certainly love for Gundam to go in this direction more often, which I think Thunderbolt certainly tried to, but may not have hit the same mark that 0080 did. 0080 is like just surprising, just how much impact and emotion they can pack into six episodes, while also being anti-war! That's the craziest part, like... If you would have told me, like, oh, there's a Gundam series that has, like, an anti-war stance, I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, have, you, have you watched any Gundam series? That's... I was just astonished when, like, I finished it. I was like, wow. Was not expecting that from a Gundam series. But that's all the reviews we have. Let's talk about fall season 2016. There are a bunch of shows already started airing just because, you know... That's just the way this store stuff goes. Like, just some of the summer season shows will end while fall season shows are starting. It's all very complicated. But let's just dive right in to fall season 2016. Starting off with 12 Side Chika Na Mune no Takameke 2. It's the second season of 12 Side. Also, I'm probably going to butcher Japanese pronunciations because that's what I do on the show because I'm bad at that. And it just happens. Three Gatsu no Lion from Shaft. Ray Kiriyama is a 17-year-old boy who recently started living alone, financed by his salary as a professional showgate player. Despite his independence, however, he's yet to mature emotionally and has problems continue has pro- and his problems continue to haunt him in his daily life. His relationship with his adoptive family is strained, and he has difficulties interacting with his fellow high school students. Meanwhile, his professional career in shogi, shoji, shogi, whatever, has entered a slump. Burdened with the heavy expectations placed upon him, his wins and losses are fluctuating as his record and progression into the ranks begin to stagnate. Acquainted with Rei are the three Kawamoto sisters, Akari, Hinata, and Momo. Unlike Rei, they live happily in their modest home, which they warmly welcome Rei into as if he were one of their own. He frequently visits the family, interacting with them and receiving the kind of care and affection he never quite had while under his foster home. This is the story of Rei's triumphs and failures, relationships new and old, and his growth as a person. Ajin 2 from Polygon Pictures is the second season of Ajin. All out! It's all in caps and two exclamation points. You have to emphasize that. For Madhouse Studios, Gion Kenji is short and perpetually pissed off about it. Oh boy. Iwa Shimizu Sumiaki is tall but timid. Although it's bullies that bring this unlikely pair together on the first day of high school, it's the rugby club that will make them friends. Sports anime is back in a dangerous way. Bloody Vores. I would assume... How would you say an I after, like, blood? Would it be, like, blood ivores or bloody vores? Either way, this is from Creators in Pack Tokyo. Sixty years ago, a strange case of insomnia struck the population, forcing them to stay awake for more than a full week. The victims, completely sleep-deprived, all went mad. To cure this illness, a new medicine was produced, but the side effects turned the patients into vampires. Humanity went into war against the new species and triumphed, but some of the vampires managed to survive. Born with a human and a vampire, the main character is Milu, the child of hope is to represent the new hope that will connect the two species. Ringleader of a bank robbery, Milu is arrested and transferred to a, sp- a special prison of the National Defense Agency that monitors vampires. Trying to break free with Anji, Milu is attacked by strange monsters, and he finds out that the prison location corresponds to the birthplace of vampires, the old capital, Blue Town. Why are vampires trapped in Blue Town? Why are those strange monsters attacking them? Our heroes must fight to solve those mysteries. Brave Witches from Silverlink. It's a Strike Witches spinoff featuring the 502nd Joint, for- Joint Fighter Wing, the Brave Witches. 
I don't remember what Strike Witches was. Bubuki Boronki Hoshi no Kyojin from Sanzigin is the second season of Bubuki Boronki. Bungo Stray Dogs 2, second season of Bungo Stray Dogs. There are a lot of uh, second seasons or sequels in fall season, it seems. Card Fight Vanguard G-Next is the fourth season of that. <laughs> Classic Alloyed from Sunrise. The story follows students Kane and Sosuke, who live in a provincial town that is trying to revitalize itself with music. One day, suddenly Classical Lloyd, versions of Beethoven and Mozart appear in front of Kane and Sosuke. When the suspicious-looking Classical Lloyds play music they call music, it has a strange power. Stars start to fall, and giant robots appear. Now every day is tumultuous. Eventually, more Classical Lloyds start to appear, such as Bach, Chopin, and Schubert. What is the great power that the Classical Lloyds have? Are they friends or foe to humanity? Is this like they, they made classical music in the Vocaloids? Because that's crazy. Digimon Universe app monsters from Toei Animation. The key to the anime story are smartphone apps that many people around the globe are using. Inside these apps, AI life forms called app monsters or nicknamed Appmon are hiding. That sounds kind of like, uh, similar to how Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth had a, uh, part of its plot. Drifters from Hoods Entertainment. The story of the manga centers around Shimizu Toyohisa, the real-life samurai who fought in the pivotal battle of Sekigahara. In his dying moments, Shimizu is transported into a world of magic with other famous warriors throughout history. These warriors are forced to fight each other in an endless battle. Isn't that just the, the plot of fate? Pretty sure that is. Flip Flappers from Studio 3HC. How does the world look in your eyes? Papika and Kokona, the, hero the heroines of the story, hold the keys to open the door. When the two girls meet, their adventures in a different time and different overlapping dimension called Pure Illusion begin. Many things in Pure Illusion will stand in the girls' way on their search for the mysterious crystal called the Shard of Mimi, an item that is said to grant any wish. However, when the girls find themselves in danger, the Shard of Mimi shines, and they are able to transform. Funewo Amu from Zix. The series follows the employees at the Genbo Shobo Publishing Company. Araki, who is a veteran editor for the dictionary department, is looking for a successor now that he's approaching retirement age. After Majime Mitsuya, a salesman who's a poor talker, meets Masahe Nishioka, Araki's co-worker who is sociable and frivolous, Araki overhears their conversation and decides to recruit Majime into the department. The story follows the awkward humans Majime and Masashi as they work together to compile a medium-sized Japanese dictionary titled The Great Passage. Girlish Number from Diomedea. The story follows the lives of Chitose Karasuma, a college student who aspires to be an idol voice actress and other young woman in, women in the industry. Isn't that... That's also like the plot to save his life, isn't it? <laughs> Haikyuu Karasano vs. Shira Torizawa is the third season of Haikyuu, which is like a shorter season. I think it's like 12 episodes. And I think it's basically supposed to be just that match, which if you've read the manga, that pretty much works out. Heybot from Bandai Namco Pictures. The anime takes place on the screw-shaped island country of, oh boy, Nejigajima, and follows the two Bokyabots, Heibot and the Yuri, Yuri Prince Nejiro, as they collect different Bokyaneji screws. When the Bokyabots wear the Bokyaneji screws on their heads, they are able to compete in Bokya battles for who can think up and tell the best jokes. Sound Euphonium 2 from Kyoto Animation is the second season of Sound Euphonium. Pretty hyped about that. Idle Memories from Seven Arcs. The anime takes place 2035, where virtual reality technology has evolved enough that people can experience world travel and other live event experiences from the comfort of their own home. In this space, idols perform live events for a worldwide audience. As worldwide popularity of idols 
performing in VR rooms increased, the Canon the Canon Private Academy was established on Beginning Island to train new idols. These idols compete and strive to reach the top of the World Idol League. The anime will focus on the six idols who will make up two units, Star Ring and Shadow. Kaito Joker 4 from Shin-A Animation is the fourth season of that. Keijo! Exclamation point, exclamation point from Zebek. Kamanashi Nozame is an exceptional gymnast, so much so that colleges with some of the best gymnast gymnastics programs are trying to recruit her. Unfortunately for them, she has other plans. Due to her family being extremely poor, money is everything to her. That's why, uh, that's why she wants to step into the world of Keijo. Keijo is a type of gambling sport where girls stand on a small floating platform and compete against one another. The aim is to push the other contestant off the platform into the water, but they are only allowed to use their butt or breasts to push the others off. Will Nozame be able to compete in the intense world of Keijo or being, and bring wealth and fortune for her family? <sighs> we need to stop anime. We do. Mobile Suit Gundam Iron Blood Orphans 2, second season of that, from Sunrise. Long Riders from Actus. The manga follows Ami Kurta, a first-year college student with no special qualities. One day, she happens to notice someone riding a folding bike and immediately, immediately falls in love with it and uses all her savings to buy one. She eventually gets introduced to the world of long-distance bicycling and road racer bikes, and she forms a cycling team called Fortuna with four other female college students from the same school. Their goal is to ride in a brevet or long-distance event called Fresh. This is really a prequel to Tokyo Mirage Sessions, because that's how Fortune Entertainment got its name. Just kidding, but that would be a really good uh, explanation. Lost Orage incited Wixus from JC Staff. It's a new Wixus uh, anime. Luger Code 1951 from Studio Dean. The story centers around the young linguistic genius and university professor Testa. He is introduced by his senior Sergeant Rasa to the Allied Cryptanalysis Department. There he is tasked to break the enemy werewolf's code, which the werewolves are used to encrypt their radio transmissions. Testa is astounded, and the only sound the encrypted code produces is the howling of a wolf. His research yields no results, and he resolves to capture a live werewolf for better cryptanalysis. After exhausting all possible means, he finally finds a female werewolf, Yonaga. Magic Hewn Renaissance from Sunrise. A world where art becomes magic. In this world, people who can inspire passion with their magic arts are called artistas and are excuse me, employed in show business. In Hoshinomori Private Magical Arts High School, it's a long name for a school, where artistas are taught, a strange new student named Ohana Agasaki transfers into the school. Ohana is placed on the planning committee for the school's yearly Hoshinomori Summer Festa Cultural Festival. She spends her romantic school life with six other boys who aim to, aim to become entertainers in the future. Each of the boys specializes in his own arts and aims to make Hoshifez a success. In addition, the boys also aim to be chosen alongside Ohana as the school's artista prince and princess only chosen once a year. A magic hewn for you. A new renaissance starts here. Magic hewn renaissance is a multi- Okay, blah, blah, blah. Don't need to read that part. That's just like PR stuff. Maho Shoujo Ikuse Kekaku from Lurch. A social game called The Magical Girl Raising Project allows one in tens of thousands of people to be a magical girl, possessing extraordinary physical capabilities and looks as well as special magical powers that set them apart from the rest of the human race. But one day, in a district containing 16 magical girls, the administration announces that it must have, have the number of magical girls to solve the problem of magical energy. At first, the 16 magical girls race to collect more magical candy than the competitors, but the rules quickly become twisted, and it quickly becomes a murderous battle for survival among them. Monster Hunter Stories Ride On from David Production. The JoJo people? <laughs> uh, it's a Monster Hunter anime. Nanbaka from Satelite. Four men are assigned to the prison Jugo. 
a man who attempted to break out of prison and ended up extending his jail time, Uno, a man who likes to gamble with women, Roko, a man who likes to get into fights, and Nico, a man who likes anime. Natsume Yujinoshu Go from Studio Shuka is the fifth season of that. Occultic Nine from A1 Pictures, oh boy. The paranormal science story follows nine idiocentric individuals linked by the Chojo Kagake Kirikiri Basara Occult summary blog run by 17-year-old second high school or second year high school student Yuta Gaman. Little incongruities that occur around those nine eventually lead to a larger unimaginable event that may alter what is considered common sense in this world. I think that's from like the Steinsgate people or like all that series of stuff. Uh, Pokemon Sun and Moon, it's a new Pokemon anime from that revolves around the games, the new games. Shakunetsu no Takyu Musume from Kinema Citrus. Ever since the chair champion was defeated, the world of girls junior high ping pong has been in turmoil. Koyori is the new smirking transfer student at her junior high and she's ready to shake up girls ping pong. Show by Rock, Pound, Hashtag whatever, second season of Show by Rock. Shimatsu no Izata from Ajia Du. If I am promised to the princess, then I will fight for her sake. In 1939 CE, the imperialist nation of Germania invaded a neighboring country. All at once, the war spread throughout, the, throughout Europe and the era was dragged into a spiral of a great war. Then, in 1940, Germania's attack toward, or turned toward the Principality of Illestat, a small Alps country abundant with beautiful water and greenery. Shoshin Shoujo Matoi from White Fox. It is 2016. It is. Matoi Sumaragi, a second-year junior high school student, works part-time as a shrine maiden at Tenmun Shrine in the city of Kamiya. Ever since being separated from her mother in early childhood, Matoi has been entrusted to her grandparents on her father's side. But three months ago, she finally began to live with her father Shingo. In those circumstances, she only wishes for a peaceful, normal life. Her close friend and part-time workmate Yuma Kusanagi is part of the family of is part of the family of the shrine chief chief priest and is a candidate to be to be the successor shrine maiden. For generations, her family has performed exorcisms of evil spirits. She invites Matoi to one of these exorcism ceremonies, a so-called divine possession, that she will attempt. One day, Matoi and Yuma walk from the school to the shrine as usual, but when they arrive, they are agreed by the shrine's new damaged grounds, and Yuma's parents have both collapsed from their wounds. Matoi's father, Shingo, a police detective, launches an investigation, and he comes upon a man who does not seem entirely sane, his only witness. When he holds down the man, Yuma begins the ritual of divine possession. Something strange that happens, not with Yuma, but with Matoi. Matoi Sumaragi, who had once, who had only wanted a normal, peaceful life, takes the role of a god and gains the power to banish evil spirits. To get her precious everyday life back, Matoi must conduct exorcisms. Stella Nao Maho from Silverlink. The story follows Tamaki Honda, a first-year high school girl who joins a somewhat peculiar SNS Boo circle that makes Dojin video games. Tiger Mask W from Toei Animation. In the Tiger's Hole, the behind-the-scenes organization of the revived wrestling world, two young wrestlers take a stand. One of those fighters has inherited the training facility and mask of a tiger that Naoto Ito left at the foot of Mount Fuji. The other fighter has been victorious at fierce competition since entering the Tiger's Hole and has obtained the Black Tiger Mask. A tiger mask that walks down the path of light and a tiger mask that walks down the path of shadow, neither of them have seen each other's face. In the ring, the two are fated rivals, but their goals are the same. Crush the Tiger's Hole. So I watched the first episode of this because it's a wrestling anime one, and then like there's a collaboration with New Japan Pro Wrestling. So like there's wrestlers in there like there's a uh, Kazuchika Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Toge Makabe, uh, Yuji Nagata is in it. It's just real weird, and it's like, oh, here's this uh, wrestling promotion 
from North America who wants to monopolize the entirety of wrestling. Who could that be? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's real weird. Time Boken 24 from Tatsunoko Productions. The anime centers on a, on Tokyo. Tokyo. Not the, not the city. A junior high school student living in the present time who is suddenly made a member of the 24th Century Space-Time Administration Bureau. Immediately, he learns that the history he has learned in the textbooks is wrong, and there is a more interesting version of history where the peerless beauty Cleopatra is actually the comic duo of Cleo and Patra. Monotaro is more of an ogre than actual ogres. Together with his teammate Karen, they use the 24 Boken Mecha to search for the, for the true history. Token Ranbu Hanamuru from Dogakoba. The year is 2205. The historical revisionists have begun attacks on the past in their plot to change history. The Sanawa, who have been charged with protecting history, can imbue life into objects. Strongest among these are the Toko or the Token Danshi. The story centers around their cheerful lives. Trickster Edigawa Rampo Shonen Tantede Tante Dan Yori from TMS Entertainment. It is the 2030s. A lot of future shows. The Boy Detectives Club gathers under Kogoro Akechi, the mysterious detective. The group solves cases great and small using their unique skills. One day, a member of the club, Kensuke Hanazaki, meets the boy Yoshio Kobe Kobayashi. Kobayashi's body cannot die due to the effects of the un un unidentifiable, uh, unidentifiable mist, but he yearns for death and shrinks from contact with other people. Taking interest into him, Hanazaki invites him to join the Boy Detectives Club. Their meeting is connected to the fate trying or tying together Kogoro Akechi and the great era's greatest villain, the fiend with twenty faces. I hate when I have twenty faces. Udon no Kune no Kinaru Kamari from Leiden Films. Sota Tarara is a web designer working in Tokyo. When he visits his family's Udon place in his hometown, Kagura Prefecture, he discovers a young boy. Upon confronting this boy, Sota learns soon learns his secret and decides to quit his job in order to take care of the boy, Poco. The daily adventures of the two suddenly unfold as Poco energetically navigates his way through Kagawa, the Udon Kingdom, along with Sota. Uda no Prince-sama, Maji Love Legend stars the fourth season of Uda no Prince-sama from Ray One Pictures. Vivid Strike from Seven Arcs, there's no description. <laughs> That's always good. Watashi ga Motate Dosunda from Brain's Base. Oh, this is uh, Kiss You Not Me, right? Kei's Surinuma is what you'd call the Fujoshi. When she sees boys getting along with each other, she and loves to indulge in wild fantasies. One day, her favorite anime character dies, and the shock causes her to lose a ton of weight. Then four hot guys at school ask her out, but that isn't exciting to her at all. She'd rather see them date each other. www.working from A1 Pictures. I'm, I'm guessing that's how you say that, because it's, like it's based off of the uh, webcomic. Daisuke Higashida gets a job at the restaurant because of family financial difficulties, but no one who works there is normal. That's, uh, that's working for you. And then finally, one of the, I'd say one of the more hotly anticipated shows of the season, Yuri on Ice from MAPPA. The show's story revolves around Yuri Katsuki, who carried all of Japan's hopes on his shoulders to win at the Grand Prix Finale ice skating competition, but suffered a crushing defeat. He returns home to Kyushu, and half feels like he wants to retire, and half feels like he, feels like he wants to continue ice skating. With these mixed feelings swirling inside him, he confides himself inside his parents' house. Suddenly, the five-time consecutive world championship ice skater, Viktor Nikiforov, appears before him, and along, along him is Yuri Piletsky a young Russian figure skater who is already defeating his seniors. Victor and both Yuri's take up the challenge on an unprecedented Grand Prix series. And then there's some seven leftovers like Days, Puzzles and Dragons Cross, and then Saike, Kusano no, Symbol Non. We got some TV shorts, 3ND, Gumi Glass, No Common, Amado Coco 3, Anatori XX, 
Aoone in the animation, Bernardo Iwaku, Bishoujo Yuji Nuna Crane Girls Game Crane Game Girls 2, Cheating Craft, Gakuin Handsome, which everyone has Dorito faces in that, Hagane Orchestra, Kiyotaro Shonen no Yokai Inike, Koriko no Chi Panparu Daiboken, Maho Shoujo Nante Moideskara 2, Miken Seijin Aroru, it's a hard word to say, Nazu Tokine, Neku no Dayan Fujiji Gekuju, Nobunaga no Shinobi, Nyanbo, Okusama ga Seito Kaisho. There's a Parappa the Rapper like short that's gonna be airing, which that's fantastic. Sengoku Shoujo Giga, Soul Buster, Take You Eight, To Be Hero, Uchi no Tama Shiramesuka, and Yasamura Yasu Yashashi no Yashashi Seikai. And then movies. There's some uh, Cyborg 009, Kagero Days, Can Call, a spinoff of Assassination Classroom. Pat Labor reboot, reboot, reboot. Uh, the Orange spinoff sequel film, and yeah, that's about it. Then let's see if there's any OVAs. There's a My Hero Academia one. There's an Oshiete Gaoko Chan. There's that weird new Pokemon show, Generations. That'll keep going. Food Wars. And that's about all I recognize. Let's uh let's preview some winner stuff real quick, or at least just take a a brief glance and see if there's anything that I recognize in this. Nothing so far. There's that Little Witch Academia TV series that's supposed to begin. Oh, uh, Showa Genroko Rakugo Shinju second series will uh, be in winter. That's great. Super pumped about that. Other than that, not really. At least nothing that I can uh, recognize. But again, this is early, so like not everything's been announced, so... Can't really... Oh, there's an Occupus Trip animation. That's weird. I have that game, but I've barely really played it. It's a weird game. That's about it for uh, fall season. And that's pretty much going to do it for this episode of the Seasonal Anime Checkup. Thank you for listening, and hope you enjoyed uh, the summer reviews, movie, and backlog stuff, uh, the preview of fall. If you want to go find Anladium, she's at anladium.com. A-N-N-E-L-A-D-Y-E-M.com. Or nobody loves perfecthero.tumblr.com. Uh, you can find me at SeasonalAnimeCheckup.com, SEC.cool. Go listen to the Seasonal Anime Checkup OVA on Danganronpa 3 and then the other episode that'll probably be up sometime shortly. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at RagbagJerkClemens.tumblr.com, YouTube.com slash RagBag315. And that's going to do it for, yeah, episode 11 of the Seasonal Anime Checkup. We'll be back probably late December, early January to recap fall and look ahead to winter 2017. Also... Probably we'll do a uh, best of anime 2016 like we did last year. Or at least I should do that. I just need to remember to do that. So yeah, look forward to that. Uh, yeah, thanks for watching. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. This isn't a video. Hope you enjoyed, and uh, I'll catch you down the road in winter when it's a lot colder for the next episode of your favorite quarterly podcast, The Seasonal Anime Checkup.